in a world where there's a lot of best-selling authors, more than there have ever been, there's definitely more skepticism and questions around the topic than ever before. So I thought I would clarify some things around this. And people say there's a way to hack or game the system, right? And it's true, there is. You would usually require a lot of resources to be able to do that, mind you. So for example, I don't have a New York Times bestseller and don't claim to, but some people that do have that status because they physically went to the bookstore and bought out all the inventory from all the local bookstores. And that's one of the ways that you can potentially game the system, right? You'd still kind of have to be smart about the way you do that, though, when you think about it. Like, you couldn't just send the author down to all those bookstores to buy their own book. That's pretty obvious. (laughs) You'd need a team of people to do it the right way, wouldn't you? And you'd also have to have a pretty good reason. You couldn't just tell the bookstore, oh, you know, we need to reach bestseller status. That's why we're buying out your inventory of this author's new book. Like, that doesn't work. You'd also have to give a pretty good reason. That's beside the point, mind you. And so what about online? Can you game the system? Not exactly. Now, when I say that, I do want to point out that Amazon does give authors a bit of an advantage in the sense that it will help you pick a category for your book in which it is likely to succeed and become a bestseller given enough sales. And that doesn't necessarily have to be hundreds or even thousands of sales. Some, usually a few dozen sales will propel the book to that specific status. You could call that cheating, but if Amazon is automatically doing that for you, and we do live in a world where progressively AI is doing a lot of stuff on your behalf automatically for you, then can you really say it's cheating or gaming the system? So let's really look at the concrete facts here because that's not really enough to launch criticism at authors who've done this honestly, right? Because not all of us have cheated or gamed the system or hacked our way to becoming a best-selling author as much as some people do. Some of us come by it honestly. And so the first thing is, if you want to have a bestseller status, having a really good book is going to make a difference. Because... If your book's not really good, it's not going to spread. It's not going to be remarkable. No one is going to tell their friend, this book changed my life and you need to read it. Unless it's good, that doesn't happen. And that's already really hard to do nowadays, to try to get the people to talk about your thing in a word of mouth type context. If you're an artist or a musician, you know how hard it is already. So having a really, really good book doesn't just help but in many cases is necessary for your book to ever get to that status. Because people are like, oh yeah, you know, if I get a couple dozen sales, then I just get best-selling status, right? Which might be true on Amazon. The only problem being that, (laughs) unless you're an influencer or someone with a significant social media following or some kind of channel where you've built a significant following, mobilizing one person let alone mobilizing dozens of people to go and buy something doesn't really happen by accident in my experience. I've built email lists of over 
5,000, I would even say six or 7,000 by now. And sometimes mobilizing that many people, even just getting a one to 10% conversion is not easy. So ask yourself, is it really easy to get that many sales? In some cases, yes, but that really goes into my next point. Having a significant following on some platform is gonna help and it's going to make a huge difference to your sales. It's almost irrelevant whether or not your book is really great. And so this is another mistake that we typically make. Like if we make a snap face value judgment of books, we say, oh, the best ones are the ones that have sold the most. Mm, not necessarily true, right? There are some books that have been far more impactful that others have based their work off of that sometimes don't ever get the credit that they deserve. The Bible would be an exception. Plenty of stories, novels, short stories, books of just about any category, fiction, nonfiction, science fiction, you name it, base their story off the Bible. But the Bible is number one best-selling book of all time. So it gets its credit. Whereas a lot of other books that people have based their work off of don't. And you see people jumping on trends, even in the book space all the time. Considering how hard it can be and time-consuming it can be, like how much of yourself investing into your book to jump on trends that are currently popular is actually a gamble. It's a dangerous strategy. But you do see some authors succeeding with it, so why not? So number two is following. If you don't have a following, a subscriber base, fans, a list, people that you can contact when you create something new and that will actually go out and buy it, achieving bestseller status is difficult, if not impossible. Number three is resources. Like we talked about at the beginning, certain hacks that you can do or cheats or whatever you want to call them. If you've got thousands of dollars laying around to go and buy up the books at the bookstore, then yeah, you might be able to achieve New York Times bestseller status. Again, ask yourself how easy that is. How many times have you just had an extra three, four, five, six thousand dollars laying around to toss out of boxes and boxes and boxes of full of books? And where the hell are you going to store those in the first place? Now you got to give those books away or resell them once again, right? You'd have to do something with them. So resources being the third critical factor. Point is, you can't achieve bestseller status without at least one of them. If you've got all three, no problem. No problem whatsoever. If you write a good book and you've got a solid following and you've got all the resources in the world to commit to it. Any one of those, not necessarily all of them, but any one of those can potentially propel you to bestseller status with the most dangerous being the first, writing a really, really great book. What does that take? Research, time, effort, combing over your words, organizing the book in a logical fashion, not exactly easy. And you've got editing, you've got formatting, you've got book covers to think about, you've got de book descriptions to think about, you've got titles to think about, not exactly easy. So I come by it honestly. My books aren't necessarily unilaterally and universally praised, but close. 
I would say from anywhere from about 80 to 95% of people either don't read them or leave positive feedback. So those who do read them get something out of them. Is it good to question? Is it good to be skeptical? Absolutely. I always say question everything, right? So the point is trust but verify. I never needed a massive following to grow my email list. I never needed a massive following to sell as many books as I did. Simultaneously, I have done my podcast long enough that it's gotten 100,000 downloads. And I've also been building my email long enough or my email list long enough that I've collected over 7,000 email addresses over time. So I can really see both sides of the, this conversation. Obviously, I'm arguing for the author, and I think that's important. I think people should realize that it's going to take one of three things, at least, to be able to achieve bestseller status in any capacity. And at the same time, I can see the buyer side, too, because I have sometimes people contacting me saying, you know, could you interview me? I have two bestsellers. That's really great. But of course, at that point, I'm still asking myself whether they've done their research, because I have at least three bestsellers. I just lost track of the others. Some of them may, may have made it there. And I have an eighth book on the way right now. So it's not like my first rodeo. So it's not like I'm going to be super impressed with someone just because they have bestseller status. And again, I apply the same criteria, though. Trust but verify. Look at their book. Is it any good? And is it worth talking about, right? Some people earn credentials and awards and other authoritative sort of acclaims and testimonials and all that kind of stuff just so that they can display that for ego or for some other purpose just to say that they have it, right? And I had that period of my life. I'm not going to lie about it. But you sort of have to go through these phases in business and in life to discover to be able to do the right thing. When I first got started in all this, I was serving people to the point of being a martyr. Like it was diminishing me, not just diminishing, but it was depleting me to do that. I just erased myself from the equation and said, I'm going to serve people. That worked for a while, but having realized that it wasn't a good long-term strategy for me, I just became as much of focused on accomplishments or personal accomplishments as I possibly could. And I spent all my time there. And that worked for a while. But it did come to a point where that also was unworkable because people started disconnecting. So finally, having tried both extremes, I feel that I've managed to balance them. There's no erasing myself from the equation anymore. I know that doesn't work. And there's no just being selfish anymore because all that does is get me personal accomplishment. doesn't get me any accolades. doesn't get me any fans. doesn't get me any attention in the capacity. doesn't even help me get my next job. So the focus really now is obsess over the audience, but don't erase myself from the equation. So people have different motivations for wanting to become a best-selling author, of course, and some of them don't even plan on it. I didn't necessarily plan on it, but I did have a hunch that my book would sell better than any product or info product I created before it, and I was right. And I had a good feeling that that's what was going to happen. At the end of the day, the book either does something for you or it doesn't. I remember being really disappointed by notable expert and author's book a few years ago, and I couldn't believe it because I'd learned so much from him 
much earlier in my business life. I just couldn't conceive that he would write an awful book. And I think part of it was like his motivation was to get clients and coaching out of it. So he was not actively providing answers. He was being very verbose. He was using really common examples that you could find anywhere about Steve Jobs and Roger Bannister and stuff like this. And like, I just, I wouldn't write a book that way. And I know some people really like that style, power of habit and whatnot. Funny part, like, you know, the illustrations and stories are good, but the funny part about the power of habit is just, it's like a three-step diagram, right? It even summarizes at the end of the book as such. Good book, perhaps. Maybe those illustrations and examples really do serve to reinforce the point. But if you just want to get to the point and know how habit works, you skip to the end. Perfect example of a book that got a lot of attention, but not one I would necessarily call brilliant. It's extensive in its research and examples it was able to provide. Cannot deny that. I can't deny the amount of time and effort and work that went into the book. But as far as the message it delivers, could not be more simplistic. At the end of the day, maybe it's just the kind of thing where people like to criticize any kind of accomplishment that anyone else makes. We all do this when you really think about it, whether it's the music awards like the Grammys or video music awards or what have you. It's like, why did they win? And their album really wasn't that great. Whatever it may be, right? So I think the tendency that we need to talk about in, in this whole thing is we tend to criticize those who are winning without really understanding or looking at why they're winning. It's coming up fast and there's no time. Clean Slate 2024 is coming up fast, February 16th in Victoria, BC. You don't want to miss out on this incredible live music and multimedia event with a dosage of inspiration to light you up creatively and to have an amazing 2024. Once again, that's Clean Slate. You don't want to miss out. Go to davidandrewweeb.com and you'll either have the option to get updates, win tickets, or buy tickets as soon as they go on sale. So once again, I invite you to go to davidandrewweeb.com and get your tickets right away. See you there.